Uh, next Sunday, we will meet at 1015 sharp, okay? Because we're having an installation service for the new elders in our church. And so we, we actually are going to start at 1015. Like we're going to do it. And it'll be a work of the Holy Spirit in and among our community. But we actually have to do it because it's a long, it's a long service. There's like vows and prayers. And it's a, it's a great uh, opportunity to come and see how the, the inner workings of the church function. But we're going to include their installation and all those vows within the worship service itself. And so 1015, 1015, 1015. Okay. Um, let's pray uh, because there's a, there's a lot in that text that Andrew just read. We're not going to get to every single part of those 23 verses. Um, and so let's ask God's uh, provision for, for what he said. Let's ask him for ears to hear what was just read. And so let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for another day and in each moment that that we are alive we have the opportunity to to remember that you're king and that you've brought a kingdom to bear in the hearts of human beings but also in the spiritual and physical realm of all that is and in each moment we can tap into that, we can access that because you have made yourself available to us, that you have um, sown the word of that kingdom so plentifully throughout the world. And I ask that our hearts would be receptive um, to you. And even if our hearts weren't receptive to you this morning or even now, um, that you would till up that rocky soil or the soil that is obsessed with the cares of this world, or the soil that just thinks that what you say is ridiculous, um, that you would soften us, Lord, that we may receive you and thereby be fruitful. And so we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Um, we're going to talk about three things, which is the way in which you enter the kingdom, but also continue in growth with the kingdom. We're going to talk about hearing, uh, desiring, and understanding the kingdom. Now, we've entered a section in the Gospel of Matthew that's different than what we've been talking about before. So starting in 10 and 11, Jesus kind of shifts, especially in 11 and 12 and now 13. He shifts our focus on what we do when our understanding of the kingdom of God is really confusing to our experience in life where it seems like what you're saying, Jesus, uh, isn't actually happening in the world or in my heart. And so he starts telling parables to address some of that confusion. And he addresses that confusion with, with John the Baptist prior in a couple of chapters prior to here, which we'll get to. But we're going to start in uh, chapter 13 today and look at uh, how, to, how to hear what Jesus is actually saying. That's one of the... Like one of the foundational uh, parts of a just being a human being, but b especially coming to God is recognizing how you hear something. Like, are you are you listening to what he's actually saying, and are you receiving what he's actually 
saying. That's, so he tells this parable, and in verse 9, Jesus says this strange phrase. He says, he who has ears, let him hear. Which begs the question, maybe some of us don't have ears, right? Um, parables, what, what's a parable? Parables act as a mirror so that we can understand what we are like and what God is like better. The word parable actually means to throw something down alongside another thing. And uh, that's what stories do. When you tell a story, they help, they help you see something Objectively, So, for instance, there was a guy named the, Pro- the prophet Nathan wanted to confront King David when King David murdered somebody or had somebody murdered and committed adultery. And to confront a king was very, a very dangerous thing to do back in the day, especially the most powerful person in the world. And so he wants to tell David, like, hey, you've done something wrong. But instead of like coming at him with hard facts, he's like, hey, David, I want to tell you a story. There was once this rich man. And the rich man basically stole everything from this one poor guy that all he had was a lamb. And the rich guy took it from this poor guy. And David says, this is unjust, like his justice instinct roused in his heart. And he said, this this rich man should be condemned. And the moment he said that, Nathan said, you're the man. You're the rich man. And he condemned himself by seeing and hearing the, the parable. Now, Why could David see clearly in that parable what was wrong, but he couldn't see it in himself? Now, this is very, very hard and very tricky. There is something about us that makes us incapable of seeing what we're like. Have you ever heard a recording of your voice? You know, like, man, do I sound like that? Uh, And everyone's like, yep, that's how you sound. Um, (laughs) And that's because we don't know what we're like. You know, we need help from an objective perspective. And Jesus is saying here in our passage, you got to pay very, very, very careful attention to how you hear things, to how you listen. Now, we've been asking the question all semester, what's the gospel? The gospel was the announcement of God coming into the world in a human being, in the person of Jesus And he has now come not only to forgive sins of individual people, but he's come to restore all that's gone wrong in the spiritual and physical realm, everything. And I want you to notice in verse two of our passage, it says that great crowds were beginning to follow him. This has been happening since Matthew chapter five, that the the crowds, you can think of the crowds as like another character in all the gospels. And I want you to just... Think, think for a moment. I know this may be like kind of philosophical, but why do people gather in crowds and go see a thing or do a thing? See what happens. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, what, why, why not do that individually? What, what is it about us that wants to gather with other people and think about a thing or lose ourselves in an event or follow like, you know, we, we obviously do this around like election years or sporting events or or concerts, the reason why is because human beings were meant to lose themselves in worship together in something outside of themselves. That that's what a deep purpose of a human being is to collectively worship something that makes you feel a part of something larger than who you are. And so this is a character in all all of the Gospels, these crowds are sort of smothering Jesus, and there's this buzz going on about him. Jesus. 
there's, you know, it's, it's sort of attractive in a way because uh, whether conscious or subconscious, they want it to be attractive. And they are literally hanging on his every word. So much so that he has to get in a boat and back up. And you can just imagine this scene. He's in a boat and all these people are like surrounding the sea. And then he, he's got their attention, right? They're in, the, they're in the context of like, I want to hear what you have to say. And then he starts speaking in parables. Right? Um, here is the question that Jesus was addressing specifically with the disciples with these parables. Here's the question that they were asking. If the kingdom of God had indeed come in you, Jesus, if it was here, Jesus had been constantly saying that the kingdom is here. If that's true, if the gospel is present, why is it not more evident? How could the kingdom be here and there's virtually little to no response to it? Every Jewish person in Jesus' day would have been familiar with the teaching of the kingdom of God, that God would one day restore his rule and reign with human beings as his agents of restoration. But absolutely no one, even John the Baptist, no one expected that when God's kingdom came, it would be confusing and hidden to almost everybody around. Now just think about that. You got the king of the universe in front of you, and it's hidden. Much more on this in the coming weeks. And so Jesus begins to explain. That's the context of this parable. He begins to explain what the kingdom of God is like, what the gospel is like. Okay? And then he says, the kingdom is like a sower who went out to sow. And he sowed seeds on four different types of soil. And only one type of soil produced a crop. What's he saying? Think think about the image there. He's saying that the kingdom of God is not like a mighty army. The kingdom of God is not forceful. The way in which this kingdom is spread is not going to seem efficient. It's not going to seem practical. No offense, Phil. There's going to be lots of wasted seed and wasted time. On top of that, it's not going to, to seem initially productive or fast. You ever tried to watch a plant grow? God's rule and reign on earth is like some, someone scattering seeds everywhere. And every now and then, those seeds land on good soil and produce crops of various sizes. Now, I want you to stop right there and think about why the disciples would maybe need to hear this parable. The disciples of Jesus. They're going to need to hear this when they continue to believe in Jesus and become witnesses of his resurrection and what happens to most of them in their lives. Most of them will be killed. The reality that Jesus' kingship is almost unrecognizable is something that they're going to need to be encouraged by, actually. Now, these parables are actually answering questions that any of us who seek to follow Jesus must wrestle with. If God's present in the world, why is there so much evil? If God claims to be restoring people's lives, why is mine not restored? Why are all my relationships broken? If God claims to be the greatest joy for human beings, you guys know this. If, if he, He's claiming to be the joy of joys. 
And what happens when you bring the gospel up to your friends? It kind of shuts things down, doesn't it? Why is that? And Jesus says, it's because this is what the kingdom's like. There are various responses to the kingdom at all times. And then Jesus says something that no teacher should ever say to his disciples or to anyone, really, if you're trying to like lead a movement. In verses 11 through 14, look at, look at what it says. So they come and ask him, like, Jesus, why are you teaching in weird riddles? And they say to you, it ha-, he says to them, to you it's been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. But to them it's, been, it's not been given. For to the one who has, more will be given. And he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables. Because seeing they do not see and hearing they do not hear. Nor do they understand. Indeed, in their case... The prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled. You will indeed hear, but never understand. And you will indeed see, but never perceive. Here's what Jesus just said. One of the reasons why he spoke in parables and why he's speaking in parables was to reveal the kingdom to some and to conceal it from others. It's a, you know, pedagogy, a pedagogical method. Um, (laughs) a way of teaching, it's not one that we're comfortable with or that we're used to. Here's what a, a British preacher named William Taylor said about parables. The parables of Jesus act as a filter. The kingdom rule of Jesus advances not only with those who humbly sit under Jesus the King, but also when it is concealed. And what this means is that God's kingdom advances when stubborn and hard-hearted people look at his teaching as a joke, as foolish riddles, that that also is his kingdom advancing. There's a psalm, Psalm 18, verse 26 says, To the crooked, God, you make your way seem torturous. And that's part of the advancement of the kingdom. Jesus teaches in a way, y'all, this is hard, Jesus teaches in a way that hardens some. There's, I was a part of a campus ministry, a guy named Cliff Wilcox, the very first conference I went to as a student when I was a freshman. He stood up and said, this ministry exists to draw some students to Christ and to repel others. And I was like, what did you just say? But just think about it. Aren't there, aren't there parts of your own heart? Like when you read scripture or when you really actually sit down and think about what God is calling you to do in your life. If you're completely honest, just think about it. Aren't there parts of your life that really are attracted to Jesus's teaching and his life and his way? And then there are other parts. I mean, to say it lightly, it just gets under your skin. That you are you want to run away from. And part of the reason why is because God's king, it's a kingdom and it's divisive to other kingdoms that are set up inside and outside the human heart. And Jesus is trying to help the disciples are bewildered by his approach (laughs) to what he's doing. He's got the crowds and then he starts speaking in these weird figures of speech. 
And this isn't to say for those of us who, who proclaim the gospel or those of us who tell our friends about the gospel, we, we must be aware of our tone and our demeanor, but we also need to be aware that the kingdom's divisive. That it hardens and, and, and softens our, our hearts at times. And the reason why this is a struggle for us, if we're honest with ourselves, is because we don't like the way that God works. Like he's not capitalizing on the opportunity right here. Like it's anti-marketing, you know? Like you got the ears and then you just dropped the ball, Jesus. You could have gained a lot of followers. And his disciples are, are thinking like, please, Jesus, speak plainly. Please. And then he says, I want us just to focus. This is the part that really stuck out to me. Verses 11 and 12. If you, this is one of the most foundational things to Christianity. If you get it, it'll change your life. Verse 11 says, to you it's been given to know. He's talking to the, uh, the disciples. To you it's been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. But to them it's not been given. He's talking to the crowds. For to the one who has, more will be given. And he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not. And what he's talking about is you don't have the kingdom. Even what he has will be taken away. You know what he's saying right there? What he's saying is that if you sit underneath my teaching and underneath my kingship humbly, especially when it doesn't make sense. The things that you're going after in this life. I will give you that and the secret stuff that you're really after in heaven. But if you look for meaning and purpose in this life and the things that you can tangibly metrically measure and see and touch and taste and smell, if you go after it, what's going to happen is that you're not going to get that or heaven. And you guys, you guys know this intuitively, no matter what you believe about Jesus, the things that you really, really want in this life, if you give yourself to them, it is never, ever satisfactory. Let's say you want a job and you don't want just like to make money. You want to have a meaningful purpose to your life through your vocation. That's a great that's a great aspiration. It's a good thing. But if you lose that job or you get that job and it's just not what what you thought it was going to be. And you realize that your heart had put things it weighed this thing down in your life that it couldn't bear. You can do it with relationships, you can do it with money, you can do it with anything. And you feel the things of this world literally slipping through your fingers. And each time you try to grab something, it slips away. And Jesus says, if you do that, you will smother everything around you. And your purpose is to seek first the kingdom of God, and then all this other stuff is going to get added to you. It unlocks it. So that what you have will be added to. Even what you have, you'll have an abundance if you have this. But if you go for this, you'll get nothing. And what Jesus is doing, this is the beauty of it here, y'all. What Jesus is doing is that he's showing how human beings become functional members of a community and how to interact with the world without destroying it. By letting it have its proper place. He's not saying that the earth is bad or that the world is bad. John Calvin, he said, you know, it's not that we like things. It's that we like them too much. 
And Jesus says, you need to put things in their proper place. Seek my kingdom first and all these things will be added to you. Pay attention to how you hear and pay attention to what you desire, what you're after in this life. And then Jesus takes his disciples aside and then starts to speak plainly to them by interpreting the parable in verses 18 through 23. So the first way that you approach God is hearing properly and then thinking about what you internally desire, and then you're ready to understand. Verses 18 through 23, he explains the parable. And I want to think about this. The seed, according to Jesus, is the word of the kingdom of God. That the kingdom of God in Jesus has broken into human history in a way that it has never broken into human history before in his presence. Then... Because of that, and because of that word spreading out into the world, there are four different types of responses to that truth. Four different types of soils, and only one produces. And I believe that the sower is Jesus himself, according to verse 37 in this same chapter. Jesus is the one that he says he's the sower. And I want to just very quickly look at each type of soil as we come to a close this morning. So the first soil, first type of soil is the seed that falls on the path and it's immediately snatched up by birds. Jesus says that this is Satan. This is the evil one who deliberately makes Christianity seem so foolish that it's immediately rejected. Verse 19. For example, uh, some think that Christianity can't be true because it just doesn't hold up. To science, I mean, it's, there's miracles that happen, you know, supernatural things like that's, that's dumb is the approach, right? Or they, they look at people in the church and they're like, I can't believe in this because every Christian I know is like somehow simultaneously judgmental and hypocritical and like the worst person ever, you know? And so regardless of whether that's true or not, Satan uses the, those accusations and makes Christianity and the word of the kingdom just seem so foolish, that they immediately discard it. Now, in Jesus' day, when people heard his speech, especially religious leaders, they, they thought that he was way too negligent and way just way too loose and sometimes just way too weird. Like he would say things like, you need to eat my flesh, which is cannibalism, by the way, and drink my blood, and the crowds left as you probably should, if somebody said that, right? And then remember what Peter said? He's like, you going to leave too? And Peter says, where, where am I going to go? You have the words of eternal life. That's, the, that's kind of the bare root kernel of what God wants to get out of you, by the way, so that you become fruitful. More on that in a second. But this first type of soil is those who hear the word and Satan immediately convinces you that that just like simply can't be true. It can't. Second type of soil is the rocky soil. This is the seed that immediately springs up, but it has no root. And when tribulation and persecution arise on account of the word, he or she immediately falls away. Verse 20 and 21. This is the person that's like really high on emotion, but has no root. And so therefore it won't last. Uh, I had a friend once who said, I will take perseverance over zeal any day when it comes to the Christian life. Um, I've, I've always said you can, you can learn way more from your dying grandparent than, uh, about the gospel than like your Twitter feed. 
there's, there's a sense into which um, most of the Christian life is about endurance. That doesn't mean that there's not like thrills and joys along the way of following the Lord. Um, but when, when it gets challenging, are you going to obey when no one's looking? Are you going to obey because who else has the words of eternal life? If the first soil is uh, all mind and no heart or emotion, the second soil is all emotion with no grit, like when it gets hard. And then the third type of soil, which is the most tricky, is the one that looks very much like a Christian, but grows right alongside of thorns that eventually will choke and squeeze it out because of the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of, of wealth, of riches. That word for uh, care, the cares of this world, is the same word that Matthew uses in chapter 6, verse 27, when he says, don't be anxious about tomorrow. It's translated anxious in that, in that section. But, the, you know, the, the cares of the world, you guys know what this is. It's like you just got to keep track of things, right? If you're not concerned about it, who's going to be concerned? We got to keep the house up. We got to pay the bills. We got to raise our children. We got to do the thing. It's just the constant, like churning, toilsome life stuff that can get you so just lasered in on it that you forget that there is like a heaven. And simultaneously, it says that this, the deceitfulness of wealth can choke you out over time. Um, my car wasn't running uh, a couple weeks ago and I popped the hood. That's about all I know how to do on a car. Um, which by the way, uh, just so y'all need to know this, like work days make me feel very, very, very insecure because I don't know how to do things, you know? Um, so thank you for those who do know how to do things. God bless you. <laughs> the body working together. Anyways, I popped the hood and I saw this like Mount Fuji level of like corrosion on the, the bolts connected to my battery, you know? Just, mat you know, it's disgusting. And so I tried to like clean it off with a brush and the battery was like dead. And so I went and got a new battery, and uh, it cranked up. And then the next day, I tried to get my car, didn't crank. So I took it to the shop, found a way to get to the shop by jumping it. And uh, the guy said there was so much corrosion, like sort of encased in the bolts, that he had to get these like little metal like tweezers and wires and get all the corrosion out. And uh, that's that's what the the cares of this world and what wealth can do to the human soul in terms of God. Like you can be very, very close in terms of proximity to Jesus all the time, like right up next to him. Talking, talking about him, hearing, hearing things all the time, but you never actually feel his power. You, know, you never actually uh, you never actually are, are convinced in your mind and heart that like this is the source of all of your life, but you're around him all the time. This is what the cares of this world and wealth can do to the human soul. That's the third type. And finally, you come to the good soil. This is the person, the fourth type, who hears the word of the kingdom, understands that it works in secret, and is often hidden from our eyes, 
and then later yields 160 and 30 fold. Dan Doriani, a seminary professor at Covenant, says that these yields were enormous. They were exaggerated beyond comprehension for the purpose of getting, getting your point across. But the point is, if the kingdom has taken root in your life, you will not only be productive, but it will have an enormous yield. Like tons and tons and tons and tons of people will come into contact with Jesus through you, through the seed that he's planted in your heart, which is exactly what happened with the disciples and the apostles. They are the reason why we're Christians, if you're a Christian here today. Now, um, most of us, let's think about our lives as we close. Um, most of us, when we read this parable, and I think of this parable as like a marriage. Like when I first read it, uh, it's good, and you, you kind of are getting things, but the longer you sit with it over the years, the more things is kind of, you see more and more things, and it's ever increasing in its glory. Um, but most of us, when we read this, our initial question is like, well, which soil am I? And we immediately try and diagnose ourselves through our own evaluation. And I don't want you to start there. I want you to start with this. When you hear the words of Jesus, do you sense that your heart is is clinging to him and the hope that what he says is true? Have you thought through, like, I, I know that many of us in this room may say that, like, we put it on our card uh, when we have to fill out, yeah, I'm a Christian. But, like, if you think, if you really think through the day-to-day reality of what your heart does to just get through, what is it that actually drives you? What is it that helps you, like, wake up and then go to sleep? Is it, is it the fact that God became a human being? Is it? How do you hear what he says? And what do you desire? What do you long for? Do you long for heaven? Are you obsessed with the things of this world? So how do we know if the gospel is, is in? <laughs> how do we know if it's taken root in our heart? Um, and this, this, is the, this is the beauty of how we talk about growth in the Christian life in this church. Jesus is not asking you to be satisfied with your view of yourself. You cannot evaluate yourself. You don't know. We are, untrust, we are untrustworthy evaluators of ourselves and other people. You can't see another person's soul. But what makes you satisfactory And what makes you eventually fruitful is the fact that Jesus is your king. That at the end of the day, what helps you face it all is that your God is your king and you know him. And it's not about gearing up to make yourself the good soil. No, 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 no. It's about him saying, I want to be near you. I want to be connected to you so that you can feel my power. And each day you live your life, you have an opportunity to experience that in new ways. So that it's almost like 
you're becoming a Christian every single moment. Not that you can lose your salvation, but that you come into contact with Jesus in new and beautiful ways. And you come, if you come back to that central fact, day in and day out, the fact that heaven has entered earth through Jesus, what he promises is that he will make something magnificent out of you. And so you got to pay attention to how you hear. And you have to pay attention to what you long for. And if you find yourself constantly, constantly listening to God's word and longing for something that this world can't offer, you're beginning to understand the gospel of the kingdom. And most of this will not be discernible on this side of death. But at the end of time, as we'll see in the parable later on in this chapter, at the end of time, God will reveal all that's taken place. That is how part of how we process uh, when we're confused about the gospel. As we think about um, uh, next week, next week, I'm going to take a break from the gospel of Matthew to do a sermon series on or a sermon on uh, elders. And then we'll get back to to the gospel of Matthew. But let's pray and we'll continue in worship through confession assurance and then the table. Father, would you make us the good soil? Um, we know that that can't happen through any effort of our own, but we do know, Lord, if we are receptive to your word and that if we begin to long for heaven, that, that that's, a good, that's a good indicator that we were made for you and that you are changing us into those who will be delighted in by you and who will delight in you to enjoy you forever. And that, that's what makes a truly fruitful life, Lord, to, uh, to know that we are loved by you and to extend that love to others and then back to you. And so, Lord, would you, would you do that? Would you do that for us here in this room? And that you would come like you, the Holy Spirit, and Love because you first loved us. We want to love like you.